The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. More democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Good news is that the 540 bridge has been opened uh, after uh, remaining closed pretty much the entire night and into the morning. It is now open, uh, which makes a humongous difference uh, in the ability to get around Fort Smith. So that's good news. Who, who knows how long the bridge will remain open because the river hasn't crested yet and it is going to uh, it'll rain sometime in the next couple of days. So our our swollen river system will remain swollen and get even more swollen uh, as we get towards the weekend so make sure you're being safe out there uh don't try to do anything superhuman uh with your vehicle and uh and and we'll be able to talk about some things that are more exciting other than dangerous and uh and fear inducing because i don't feel that way about college baseball i don't feel that way about the arkansas razorbacks draw when it comes to the NCAA regionals, Ty, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Uh, the Arkansas, for the second year in a row, is the five seed. Uh, they are the third highest seeded team in the NCAA tournament out of the Southeastern Conference behind Vanderbilt and Georgia, uh, two teams that they had, you know, losing record against. Uh, but they are one step ahead of the team they went three and zero against Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and LSU. Also getting uh, hosting. Uh, capabilities. Arkansas lined up against Ole Miss in the Super Regional if things uh, remain chalky and according to plan, which didn't happen last year. If you remember, Arkansas was lined up against, I think it was the East Carolina Regional, and South Carolina came out of that Regional. So you, you had an all-SEC Super Regional anyway, and uh, and maybe you will again, although Ole Miss didn't make it out of their Regional last year, and uh, they played a lot of baseball uh, going into the week of the Regionals, especially <laughs> Played in the SEC Tournament Championship out of the loser's bracket. They had to come, not only come out of the loser's bracket, but they had to play in the first day. Uh, so they played, what is that, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They played six games. Six games in a week. That's a lot of baseball for a college team. Arkansas, really, I mean, they, they kind of did what a lot of people said they wanted them to do. Go three and out. Get your starting pitchers work uh, and get home with plenty of rest. And I thought I might have seen some signs in the way that Friday's game was managed, in the way the lineup card was written out, uh, in the uh, loss to Ole Miss in the quarterfinals, I thought the signs were there that that uh, Arkansas head coach Dave Van Horn, if they didn't win, was so be it. That's fine. We'll, we'll move on to what really matters, which is which is what's coming up one o'clock on Friday. But uh, all things being equal, and they really aren't equal because Arkansas is the home team <laughs> at Baumwalker Stadium. Good luck coming in to Fayetteville and finding a way to get three wins in a regional or two wins in a super regional. Uh, I think that's why, I mean, things aren't all equal. Arkansas gets the advantage. Uh, so even even if all things were equal, I think it's a very favorable draw for Arkansas when you get a TCU team that very well could have been the last team in uh, as an at-large bid. They've battled some injuries, but they also, you know, this is a team that's got a couple of good starting pitchers, not especially deep in the bullpen. 
California, uh, you know, one of those one of those good Pac-12 teams, not a great team, powerful, not a great pitching staff, and then whatever you th- you know whatever you think about Central Connecticut State, they're not coming in and winning Friday against Arkansas. I don't care who pitches on Friday. They're not going to beat the Razorbacks. <laughs> and I think the the most of the comments and opinions that were concerned, the people were concerned with the NCAA quote-unquote screwing or hosing Arkansas was not in relation to the regional draw because you got TCU, a team that most people thought wasn't going to be in this tournament. Cal, pretty decent baseball team. And then Central Connecticut State, that's just kind of a no-name team, kind of like any other four spot you would have got. But I think people are questioning is the fact that you got paired up with Ole Miss and the fact that you haven't had much slash any success against them since, what, 2014 is the last time you won a series or is it 2015? It's been, it's been four years. Okay. So, and, and lost three out of five this season yeah, to Ole Miss. And you, you didn't play great. You didn't play great against the team this year. Again, you mentioned the lineup changes. It didn't look like they were exactly gunning for everything for all in that, vic- in that, in that game. But that being said, I think that was what more people were pointing to the fact that you got paired up with Ole Miss and the fact that LSU was paired up with Georgia was kind of weird. But, I mean, Phil, when you got 10 SEC teams, yep. six that are hosting regional, I mean, the, the NCAA selection committee, they're going to do all they can not to make sure these teams just don't exactly kill each other before Omaha. But sometimes it just happens, man. Yeah, and I, I know that you know people will point to, to this matchup and that matchup and say, well, if you just manipulate your, your top 16 seeds one spot here or there, you avoid this matchup or that matchup. But that's just, I don't think that's the reality you live in, and it's not, it's not just the SEC. I mean, you've got UCLA and Oregon State paired up uh, in, a, in a possible Super Regional. There's Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, the 8-9 seeds. They're paired up in a potential Super Regional. It's the fact that not just when you get 10 SEC teams into the, conf- into the NCAA tournament, but you have six that are hosting sites, yeah. four that are top eight national seeds. This is just going to happen. I mean, four of the eight national seeds came from the SEC. So this is this is going to happen. It's just an unfortunate happenstance. The, the thing about this is that potentially Arkansas, let's say that, let's say that uh, all right, Texas A&M, uh, to me, I thought that their series win against Arkansas the last regular season weekend was a loud statement by Texas A&M. And I thought that might guarantee that they would be one of those top 16 teams nobody was thinking about Ole Miss at all um, of of coming of coming into that top 16 especially that they have an, an RPI that's at 22 and that's after they picked up what was it four wins in Hoover in six games so their RPI would have been I don't remember exactly but probably into the high 20s or the low 30s nobody would have talked about Ole Miss as a potential regional site. In fact, before Arkansas's first game against Ole Miss, I caught up with David Kellum, the longtime radio voice for Rebels baseball, basketball, and football, and he's looking at me and saying, we're just, we're just hoping, we're just hoping to get sent to a nice place. You know, thinking we'll be a two seed. Hopefully they don't send us all the way out to California. Nope. They're home. They're home. They're, they're staying. They didn't even expect to be there. So winning, winning four games against SEC competition, and and essentially being the team that knocked Missouri out, you know, if Missouri yeah. wins that first game against against Ole Miss on Tuesday, maybe the Tigers aren't one of the last four teams, uh, one of the first four teams out of the tournament. Maybe they're one of the last four teams in. So yeah, I mean, it is a little bit interesting when you look at not just that Arkansas is lined up against Ole Miss and the Supers potentially, but that the other the other two regionals that they're paired up against, as far as 
who you play once you get to Omaha are all hosted by SEC teams. Uh, potentially the other side of the Arkansas uh, Ole Miss side of the bracket is LSU Georgia. And again, I mean, these teams have to come out of their regionals, and this is no guarantee. I mean, LSU has a, a really good Arizona State team coming in there, um, and, and Georgia's got to deal with a Florida Atlantic team that won 40 games and any sort of emotion that's built up for Florida State being that this is their head coach Mike Martin's last ever season and they slipped into the tournament as one of the last teams. Uh, there's no guarantee they get out of there. And I feel the same way about Ole Miss's regional that, you know, Illinois might surprise them. I don't know if I'd look at Clemson as a, as a team that could surprise them. But you're still looking at, at you're all – any one of these teams makes it there, you could still have an, an, an SEC versus SEC in the first game and two games of the of the College World Series, which just tells you how good SEC baseball is. More than anything, I don't look at it as a as a uh, you know me in conspiracy theories, Ty. You know this is where you and you and I have different feelings about a lot of things. I think conspiracy theories is probably the best example of how we view things differently. I don't believe there's any conspiracy theory to quote-unquote screw the SEC out of getting this team or that team to the College World Series. Uh, any anti-Arkansas bias. Hell, that's that's more of the point where I want you to solemnly believe in is the anti-Arkansas bias, whether it's from the SEC or the NCAA overall. And trust me, I think you might you might change your tide a little bit once you watch that 79 Elite Eight game against the Indiana State Sycamores. Yeah, but that's that's forty years ago. I'll I'll worry about oh, I'll worry yeah. about that once this thing. I know you told I'm supposed to watch this for our halftime homework, and I will. I guarantee I will. Yeah. But it's it's forty year old bias. You know, here's another thing too. I mean, just looking at this regional that Arkansas draws, the last two years it's had a real you know quote unquote regional feel to it with regional schools. You know, whether it was uh, Oklahoma State, Oral Roberts, uh, Southern Miss, or Missouri State. I mean, these are all schools within, what, about a 400-mile radius or so. TCU is the closest to Arkansas. And they should TCU, as one of the last teams into the tournament, should be thinking they're lucky stars that they weren't sent all the way out to California uh, because, I mean, you you get Cal that's coming in from, I think, like 1,700 miles away. Central Connecticut is coming in from, I think, about 1,500 miles away. So they've got to deal with an incredible amount of travel. And and they just played in their conference championships. Well, I mean, there is no conference championship uh, tournament for the Pac-12, so that Cal didn't have to deal with that. But Central Connecticut did. I mean, they made a run of the Northeast tournament, which was not hosted in their hometown of New Britain, Connecticut. So, I mean, they've got to pack right up and hop on a plane and, and, and play in front of a they're going to play in more in front of more people. Central Connecticut's Blue Devils baseball team tie is going to play in front of more people during batting practice than they played in front of all season long. Jeez Louise! Think about that. I mean, I think they had what was it? I think I think they had like a, a total of two thousand five hundred forty-two fans watch their home games all season. There'll be two thousand five hundred forty-two fans lined up to get into the hog pen on Thursday before Friday even gets here. And that's what we were, the points we were kind of making last week. Cal doesn't have the same uh, type of attendance. TCU's the same way, and then Central Connecticut State. And that's why if Ole Miss was to come out of their regional in Oxford and then face Arkansas, they're not going to be as phased by the Bomb Walker Stadium crowd, especially since that place will, I think, be a little more packed this weekend with the the flooding and kind of the stuff that's been going on around the great state of Arkansas. 
that there won't be as as much, and it's a one a one o'clock game, which just the work on top of the weather just has not been kind in terms of what's going to happen in attendance this weekend for Arkansas. But yeah, it, it, they're going to get a little bit of a wake up. I don't know if wake up call because it's the games in the afternoon, but it's just going to be a little bit of a culture shock when they're playing in front of all those people this weekend. Well, I think it will be for Cal too. This is you know TCU gets some crowds, Cal doesn't, and neither does Central Connecticut State. Um, uh, well, we were gonna we were about to go to Grant because he wanted to talk about some some hitting problems for Arkansas, but uh, Grant hung up. So. We can hit on his points though. The questions sure. he well, he wanted to ask, and he, he told me when I was talking to him, he wanted to ask about the hitting problems that Arkansas has faced these last couple games, how they haven't been successful against some of these better SEC pitchers, and what's just kind of gone around the state, how that's going to affect the team with some of the team uh, with some of the team having family members of areas that's been affected. He wanted you to touch on that, Phil. Well, I mean, that, that's a, I guess that's a good question about how kids with family members affected by floods, how you know how, what that does to their mindset. And I think, you know, the top of my mind would be Connor Nolan's. You know, I don't know what's going on in Greenwood necessarily, but I know that's close to, that'd be close to uh, some of the flooding. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I think you're able to potentially section off you know what what might be happening there to what you're focusing on at the very moment you do have to be able to compartmentalize as an athlete you know what's happening in personal life and and all of that and sometimes i've seen athletes take tragic moments going on in their lives and 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 almost use it <laughs> I hate to think of that as like bulletin board material but just almost use it as a galvanizing force for your competitive streak and 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 use it you know in a positive way for a performance on the field you know, and as far as the hitting problems go, look, Arkansas did not hit at all for these last seven games, and and Bobby and I talked about this quite a bit openly on our on our baseball broadcast. They just weren't putting together a lot of the a lot of great at bats, which is to me stands apart uh, from a lot of the other teams we've seen this year. Is that Arkansas until I'd say the last game of the LSU series just put together a lot of great at bats. You could see they walked up to the plate with plans. Um, they didn't go after pitchers' pitches too often. Uh, they waited for their pitch. They worked the count. They ground down an opponent. And and I know we can say, look, you got to come through with runners in scoring position. You know, you got to make contact with a runner at third and less than two outs. These are all pretty simplistic statements. It's a lot easier to say than, than do. do. Yeah. But a lot a lot of it has to do with the plan that you go up to the plate with, knowing the situation, knowing what's important, knowing what your weaknesses are and how they might be attacked, and knowing the the opponent pitcher's strengths and weaknesses and how you can plan for that and you i don't know if we saw that these last seven games here's what i do know that we saw great pitching first and foremost great pitching great sec pitching texas a&m georgia i mean those are four of the seven games we're talking about and that's two of the best pitching staffs in the country um these this is not an excuse it's a fact these are great pitching staffs and again i'm Central Connecticut is is a different thing than Cal and TCU. California has an ace, a right-hander, Jared Horn. He's got a 182 ERA, which is fifteenth best in the nation. They can't save him for Saturday. They've got another guy, Armin Sabori, who's a left-hander that has shuttled back and forth between the starting rotation and the bullpen. His numbers are good, 280 earned run average, but there's no level of consistency there. So it's not like he's been out there shoving it all year long and he hasn't been a starting pitcher all year long. That's probably who you see on Saturday if Cal wins. 
game one against TCU. You know, TCU is known for having a good pitching staff, but this year their team ERA is four and a quarter, not great. Uh, they do have a right-hand ace. Uh, pardon me, they do have a right-hand ace and Nick, uh, um, and Nick um, Lodolo, who they can't save for Saturday. So they'll throw him Friday against Cal, who has a, a pretty frightening lineup, I'll say that. Arkansas-Cal would be a really interesting matchup with, I think, the two teams have combined for like 156 home runs. Wow. I think Arkansas's got some power. I think they had 77 or 78 home runs. Cal's at 80. Uh, so, And they have last year's Golden Spikes Award winner, as I think most people have heard, Andrew Vaughn, who hit 15 homers this year. Get this, tie. Last year, Vaughn, who won the Golden Spikes Award for the best player in college baseball, had more home runs, 23, than strikeouts, 18. That's, I mean, that's... Saber metrics. That's 1930s kind of stuff. You know, that's that's Ted Williams kind of stuff. You know, we're comparing a college hitter to a Hall of Famer, but that's that's that almost feels impossible to do in this day and age where you're almost told to forget about the strikeouts and focus on hitting home runs. This kid forgets about the strikeouts and hits home runs because he never strikes out. So, I mean, and, and it's not just him. They've got some other guys that are pretty frightening-looking hitters. I see Cal beating TCU. I do. I see them. I see an Arkansas-Cal matchup. In the night game on Saturday, uh, I think Arkansas in that case will see a left-hander, Armin Sabori. But you know, it, 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 I think I don't know when the starting pitching matchups get announced. I would assume they get announced either either at the latest Thursday, and maybe you start hearing some news about it tomorrow. Um, you know, and and so now this brings up the other question, Ty, and this is something that I'm sure Dave Van Horn is getting peppered with. And I did ask him at breakfast in Hoover. Depending on the opponent that you face Friday, would you pitch off? Would you start either Connor Noland or Patrick Wicklander on Friday and, and hold Isaiah Campbell to Saturday? And he said he, he, he could. It, it all depends on the matchup. I think, this is, I think this is the matchup you do that for. You know, and I don't know if it, if it was 2017, if it was 2018 or 2017 where you might feel like there's a little more uh, stability to your starting rotation, where in 2017 your Saturday pitcher was Blaine Knight. Trevor Steffen was your Friday pitcher. They felt just as comfortable giving the, the ball to Blaine as they did Steffen. You felt the same way last year with Casey Murphy pitching on Saturdays and Knight pitching on, on Fridays. And so in the tournament, each of those two years at home, Steffen pitched the Friday game on, in 17 and Knight pitched the Friday game in 18. And, and that's because Arkansas always felt they knew they could win with either Knight on the mound on a Saturday in 17 or Murphy on the mound on a Saturday in 18. And that's not to say they don't feel they can't win with Connor Nolan or Patrick Wicklander pitching on Saturday. And, oh, by the way, they have lost Nolan's last four starts. Yeah, and through, through no fault of his own. I was through say, absolutely he, no fault of his own because he's been great. Yeah, he had, he's had gotten jacked for run support. So, But you feel bad for that. Uh, Bill, I wanted to update everyone on this. Tommy just came in here and gave me some news, so we're going to hit the sounder real quick. Um, so the Midland Bridge, the Midland Avenue Bridge has now been open. So now it's we had a couple bridges closed down, the 540 Bridge and the Midland Avenue Bridge. The Barling one was open, but now you have both those bridges are back up and running. They might be shut down at a later point this week, but just to give our audience an update on that, the Midland Avenue Bridge along with the 540 Bridge is now back and open. So that's that's within the last 30 minutes. Midland Avenue Bridge, 540 Bridge have both been reopened. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. Make sure you're being careful out there. That's something I'll get into later. Uh, and I know I'm a couple hours downstream in, in Little Rock, but I've never seen the river 
and I've lived in Little Rock for 19 years. I've never seen the river in Little Rock as high or as violent as it looks right now. And I can only imagine what it looks like in Fort Smith, closer to the catastrophic flooding that's been going on in, in Tulsa and northeastern Oklahoma. Thoughts out to all of those people dealing with that. And make sure, please, you're not being brave out there. Um, you know, you don't need me to tell you what not to drive through. You know what to look for. Don't be brave. Be smart. Be cautious. I want to thank my buddy Jeff Taylor and Jeff's Clubhouse for sponsoring the Halftime Pod. Jeff's has the best soup, sandwiches, and salads in the area. The Peppercorn Ranch is to die for. Reuben, off the charts. If you haven't been to Jeff's Clubhouse in Fort Smith, you got to go check it out. Back to the Halftime Pod. Let's go. Nikki Chabanel joining us every Tuesday around this time. Great columnist, editor, reporter, Rivals.com covering Arkansas athletics. Nikki, of course, I know you focus a lot on uh, on basketball and on football, but it's it's a big baseball weekend, and uh, you've been there for more than a year. You you've caught the baseball the baseball bug at Arkansas, haven't you? It's tough not to when you're when you're living and working in Fayetteville. Yeah, I I was locked into all those games this past weekend. I was hoping to get to watch some more, but uh, I'll be out there this weekend and hoping it goes on for a while. I've seen all of the recruits that have been coming in to visit, uh, whether it's been basketball or whether it's been football. I mean, they're going to take them to other athletic events around campus if that's happening because I think they want them to get a sense of what campus life is like. But when they come to baseball, I don't know, there just seems to be something different because you know you're going to get big crowds at football games, big crowds at basketball games. But when 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 recruit football recruits or basketball recruits come in and if they ever visit an Arkansas baseball game, do you ever think that gives them a, a different view on what the Arkansas fan base is like specifically just because they've never seen a baseball crowd like that? Yeah. I mean when you go there it's it's just it's such an intimate environment in that stadium. Everyone's so close together and then you have people packed into the outfield and uh uh, I, I love that environment there, so I imagine recruits love it as well, and they get to see what fans are like, you know, during the playoffs or during a sport like baseball that does really well. So, you know, Jimmy Witt didn't need to visit Arkansas baseball because maybe he already knew what it was like when he uh, when he made his decision. Mm-hmm. He knows what the fan base is like. This came out of uh, this came out of left field for me. Were, were, were there any signs you thought that uh, Witt might be coming back to Arkansas when he announced? Well, I didn't really know what kind of uh, state he was in when he left Arkansas. Uh, I know what he was like when he got to SMU. I I covered him there. Um, But I think he sees an opportunity. He was, you know, an NBA draft prospect, so I think he sees an opportunity to just level up a little bit more with Coach Musselman uh, in the SEC and put himself in an even better position for next year's draft to maybe get in there. Um, but he was a very consistent contributor for SMU, um, played a ton of minutes, and stepped up when key players were injured. So I, I like the addition. It's going to be interesting to see who is no longer uh, with the team when they start practicing more. Nikki Chavanel, Rivals and Hog beat our guest here on Halftime. Nikki, you kind of have a unique position, the fact that you, get to, you got to watch and cover him at SMU, a position that really – no one inside the state that covers Arkansas had. What kind of role do you anticipate him as a grad transfer senior playing on this year's squad? Well, he's a really good ball distributor. 
and rebounder. Uh, not a great outside shooter, but he does drive to the hoop a lot and, and get uh, points inside. And I think he's going to be a, a great team leader. He is a very positive locker room environment and kind of like a, a goofy guy, and I think he'll keep them loose. Um, but I think he's a guy that kind of knows his role, and, and you won't see him step out of it too much. And Coach Musselman, I'm sure, with his analytics and everything, will have him uh, doing exactly what what brings the team the most efficient points. So there was an interesting story that came out with R.J. Hampton, who's one of the more premier high school players that was making his decision between, I think it was Texas Tech, Kentucky, Memphis, and another school that I can't think off the top of my head. But the guy elected to go play overseas to New Zealand, and has a lot of college basketball people wondering if this will become a trend, and I know as much as you stick to basketball and football recruiting, I wanted to get your take on it. Do you think this is going to have any impact on high school kids deciding if they want to play college or if they want to play overseas? Well, I, it happens every once in a while. Um, he was just one of the best guys I think that people have seen in a while. Um, I, I typically don't follow the top 10 recruits in the nation. I probably will have to now with how aggressively Coach Musselman is recruiting. But, no, I think I think some guys uh, see that option. I remember Emmanuel Moutier was almost going to go to SMU a few years ago, and then he went overseas and then got drafted by the Nuggets. So um, it, it's just a great opportunity to make money right away, and some of these guys uh, need that. That's exactly what it comes down to. It's, it's an opportunity to make money right out of high school, I forget the name of the kid who's uh, who's drafted by the Braves, the Atlanta Braves in the Major League Draft, who now just signed a pro contract with um, a Japanese team because he's going to make, I think, $7 million right off the bat and not have to filter through the minor leagues, you know? I mean, so, I mean, you're seeing this in different sports now. It's I think it's very interesting to see how, you know, some of these kids are thinking, you know, I can maybe I can develop across, you know, across seas just as much, maybe even more so than I can develop trying to figure out what school is the right fit for me in the United States. Yeah, and, you know, these days, like, you know, allegedly some players get money to play in college, but it's still not going to be the amount that he's going to get over in New Zealand and, you know, totally within the laws. So, uh, no, I think it's, I think it's a smart move, and... And uh, I, I, I'm just glad that Arkansas doesn't have to deal with that situation where they think they might get a kid and then he ends up going overseas. It, it's really tough. You, you count on those guys. Nikki, you put together a very useful list of recruits uh, for fans to follow as uh, they filter into campus. You know your Twitter really, really well. You know, I, I think I know my Twitter okay, but I don't put together lists like this. Tell tell listeners about this razor fast nineteen list and exactly why you put it together and, and what they can do with this. Well, I, I I yeah, I put together a lot of Twitter lists. If you don't know what that is, you can like group certain followers into lists and then you can go straight to their tweets instead of having to filter through everyone else. So I have lists for Arkansas's whole twenty nineteen class. I have my own private list for all of their top uh, 2020 targets. And then I have just lists of uh, public lists of all their offers. So you can go follow those as well. And it's just really handy. Sometimes you forget even what a kid's Twitter handle is because it's not his name. And uh, you can just go to the list and find it more easily that way. So, yeah, go give, give me a follow and, and follow those lists as well. 
It, so all these kids are starting to filter into campus now, right? I'm seeing some of these tweets. I mean, they're they're moving. They're they're coming in. Yeah, uh, I think almost everyone is here for the 2019 class, except for uh, Torian Carter and Enoch Jackson in Mansfield Legacy. I'm not sure what the holdup is. Um, I don't know. Maybe they just have some graduation ceremony or something. But uh, they'll be here next Saturday. And everyone seems really happy, and the, the parents were happy with how the move-in process went. Um, if you guys don't know, there's, there might be some big news at, at 2.45, so stay tuned for that in regards to the 2020 class. Interesting. Uh, maybe a commitment. We'll see. Talking with Nikki yeah. Chevenel, Rivals.com, and Hogbeat. Nikki, one of the things the Arkansas recruiting staff did before the weekend was put out the graphics of NCAA football I think it was is for 2020, the upcoming 2020 recruits that they're trying to get in here. And, and this just shows another example of how this staff is keeping up with the times, really being in the know of what these kids want to see, what these kids are talking about. And uh, you've talked about several times how this staff has done a tremendous job with social media, and they're going to have to keep doing that when they're trying to battle blue bloods like Alabama, LSU, and other tough SEC schools. When you look at the other SEC schools that Arkansas is facing off in, in terms of the recruiting social media sides of things, how are they stacking up just from that standpoint? Not just, I'm not talking about facilities. I'm not talking about coaches to players talking recruits. I'm talking about just from a social media standpoint, how are they stacking up against these other SEC schools? You know, from a quality and quantity standpoint, I think they're they're head-to-head with anybody like you said, with the NCAA football graphic, I mean, their their stuff is always, like, timely and relevant, and the kids really get into it. Uh, I think I see kids share their graphics more than most other ones. And, you know, when when you see a school send out a graphic, they've sent it to pretty much all of their prospects. So the more you see it, the more kids like it. And whenever Arkansas sends one out, pretty much everyone that gets it shares it. So, so I'm sure that means a lot to the graphics department. I know they work really hard. So with the recruiting staff continuously working on that, and then just like, are there more, I know that there's some camps coming up. What are some big like camp dates and recruiting dates coming up concerning this 2020 and I guess the 2021 class? Well, Vernon Broughton, a four-star defensive end from the Houston area, he will be in town for an official visit this weekend. I believe it starts on Thursday. Uh, Arkansas has a lot of work to do with him. He's also considering Texas and A&M and uh, some other schools like Ohio State. So that'll be one to watch for this weekend. And then camp season starts the week. Uh, I believe there is a specialist camp next week for kickers and then a um, a junior high overnight camp the next week plus high school overnight camp, elite uh, quarterback and uh, catchers or, you know, receivers camp, a trench camp for offensive linemen and defensive linemen, and that's all the week of June 12th. So if you if you have kids out there that haven't signed up for camp, there's plenty of them, so get those kids signed up. Can I put you and Ty on the spot and see who can answer a question quicker than the other? If it's okay, recruiting, sure. I'll lose. It's not a recruiting <laughs> question. It's just a football question. How many days until college football starts at Arkansas? 95. Go. 95. Oh, he was just a bit. He was just a little quicker than you, Nikki. Just it's probably because he might hear me a little faster than you do. Yeah. That's the only reason why. I have you, that's what I'm going to say. You guys are ready to go, aren't you? Yep. 
I bet you are. I saw you guys have a new hire uh, for uh, Rivals.com covering Arkansas basketball recruiting. Tell us about him. Yeah, we brought on Jake Weingarten, who uh, he has his own blog, uh, Stock Risers, and he has built up quite a following on Twitter. I think he has over 17,000 followers, and he has developed a great source network. And I know that, um, you know, he knows some people in, in the Arkansas network, and he's always tweeting out new Arkansas offers. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bring this guy on the team. So that, instead of retweeting him, he can just work for us and bring the content to the people. So I'm really excited to bring him on. And he's also covering um, Louisville basketball as well. So he's, he's got two rival sites to work on now. Nikki, this is some pretty breaking news, and I, you'll probably we'll probably have to let you go after this because you'll probably have to get to the story. This is coming from Trey Shap down in Little Rock. According to him, down at the SEC meetings, Justice Hill is no longer going to be playing football or basketball at Arkansas next season. Get thirty seconds on that, and then we'll let you go because I bet you'll be wanting to get a story on that soon. Dude, I saw that right before this call, and I was thinking the same thing. Um, I, w- I would like to wait until I hear from Justice or someone from the staff, but definitely interesting, interesting news. Uh, I had a weird feeling about it. Coach Musselman hasn't, hasn't been talking about Justice whenever he's doing all these podcasts that he's doing, so um, it kind of makes sense to me, uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Good stuff, Nikki. Thanks a lot. As always, have a great week. Thanks, guys. Jeff's Clubhouse has the best brunch in town every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., bottomless mimosas, an endless buffet, and so much more. 2801 Old Greenwood Road in Fort Smith. More Halftime Pod coming at you. Uh, news came out over the weekend that a familiar name is now another new name at Arkansas Basketball. I don't, I don't know who saw this one coming. Jimmy Witt coming back to Arkansas after two years, three years at, at Southern Methodist, one year sitting after he transferred away from the University of Arkansas. And, uh, boy, he, he scored. He scored at, uh, at, at SMU. Uh, last year, uh, Jimmy able to, uh, put up 12.3 points a game, 10 and a half points a game his first year at SMU. So, uh, was able to, uh, score the ball at that level, which now you've added, You've added three players in Jimmy Witt, Juntel Silla, and Isaiah Moss, all eligible to play next year as graduate transfers who have shown the ability to put the rock in the hole at other, at, uh, in other programs. This is, this is exciting to see that you're adding your, it's not that you're adding dominant scorers. You're adding complementary scorers. So, you know, who's the dominant scorer for Arkansas last, uh, next year? You know, I still think it'll be, it'll be Isaiah Joe and I think Mason Jones. Uh, potentially could be close to that, but then you're also seeing guys like Witt, Silla, and Moss. More, more I think Witt and Silla that fill the role that that Mason also fills too. I don't think that he's going to see less playing time, but I think this is good to see these complementary scorers uh, now on this team. Couple thoughts from Jimmy Witt deciding to come back to Arkansas. Number one, he doesn't really fit the mold of the players that Eric Musselman has recruited so far. You think about good free throw shooting, can stretch the floor with the three ball. Phil, the guy shot under 20% last year for the three-point line shot. Yeah, he's, he's not a three-point shooter at all, is he? No, and he shot a little above 50% from the free throw line. He was described from the Dallas Morning News of having a wonky, what's the last time you've heard that phrase, a wonky jump shot. Now, he's a good mid-range player, and he was able to kind of find his home there 
at, in, that, in that area of the floor last year. I mean, he, he had 52% of his two-point shots yeah. last year. I mean, he's a good mid-range shooter, and that's kind of what I remember him at Arkansas, even though I think he shot like 36% from three his freshman year. But it's just kind of different from the guys that Eric Musselman has brought in so far. And you mentioned now the third grad transfer he's brought in, the fifth overall recruit. The second point I want to add, now you're two scholarships over the limit. And we've kind of thrown out theories of who's no longer going to be with the team next year and whatnot. I think you and I are both in agreement that Khalil Garland is not going to play on this team next year. Well, I'd also seen, and, and you know, I don't think he'll play for them, but Richard, uh, Richard Davenport's column about Jimmy Witt yesterday in the Democrat Gazette made a point that, you know, he's still eligible for a medical hardship waiver, which means Correct. he wouldn't count against the scholarships. I just want, you know, how many years can you be on the medical hardship waiver? Because that'd be three years in a row for Khalil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I don't know the details on that. But the only, I, I think the third point I want to add in, Phil, is I trust hog stats when it comes to a lot of basketball information. I, I try to research as much as I can. There's just not a lot of info on this topic. Outside of Sunday on a bio, I don't know if there's ever been a player that's gone to Arkansas, gone to another school, and come back. Now, it's funny because kind of the same thing on the football field happened this weekend with a guy named Brew McCoy, who started his career at USC, transferred to Texas, and now is heading back to USC. And he's a, I think he was a, he was a four-star wide receiver that's from the California area, but he's kind of doing the same thing Witt did, except he didn't, I don't believe he didn't actually ever play it down for Texas Witt played extensive time for SMU, but it's just kind of interesting he's heading back. Uh, there's been some different responses from the fans on him coming home. Some people are happy to see him back in a Razorback uniform. Some people are not as ecstatic about him coming back. So I, I think that it's not – you don't have 100% people aren't 100% excited about him coming back. But I'll tell you what, if the guy plays and is successful like he was, and again, you're stepping up from the AAC to the SEC – but if he can ball next year, I think people will be okay with him deciding to come back, even though he left Arkansas after his freshman season. I'm sure. I'm sure. And again, it's another example of you for for one of the most for the one of the least experienced college basketball teams in the country to maybe one of the most experienced college basketball teams in the country. When you got three graduate transfers, all of them, you can't see any of these guys sitting the bench very much. Yeah. They're coming here to play, and they're coming here to score. And I, I also remember. Go ahead. You, no, you, no, you no. hit on. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I remember, and I, I'm trying to rack my brain of athletes that have that have left a school and then come back to that school. I remember a, a, a third baseman catcher for Arkansas that almost did it. Blake Wiggins out of Little Rock uh, sat for a year at Arkansas. He was supposed to be a starting catcher but ended up getting hurt. And then he transfers to a junior college for a year. They were supposed to have him come back, but he never came back. I think because he got hurt at junior college, ended up finishing his career somewhere else. But they had planned for him to come back, so that would have been the case there. I guess a little different with you know going to JUCO and then coming back, then going to another four-year school and then coming back. Yeah, and I want to add this point in real quick before we get to the other side with Nikki Chabonel. You remember what Eric Musselman said? This team, he felt like, would be a tournament team heading into the next year. How much more confident are you? Again, you can't be 100% confident because we don't know how the coaching style will mesh, how the new players will mesh. But I think the fans should be a lot more confident about their tournament chances based on the, the leadership and the talent you brought in compared to where it was, where it was a couple months before he got here and, and just said that off the bat. Well, I feel a little better about it, but here's the thing. I mean, huh? Are any are any of these three guys Wit Silla or Moss any taller than six foot five? And you still don't have any size, and you got to be able to rebound in the SEC. 
Well, and that's the other thing you know about Connor Vanover too, because even if Vanover does get his waiver and and is eligible immediately, he's not a banger in the post. I mean, he's seven foot three and he can block a shot and probably grab you a rebound, but it's not like he's you know he's not a strength guy. Yeah. He's not somebody that's going to overpower somebody to grab a rebound. He's just taller than most others, and and that's the main thing that they that that has been talked about with Connor that he's got to work on, and potentially that could be why sitting out one season. Could be a good thing for him and maybe for the team, but it doesn't help you for this next year in which you're still going to be an undersized SEC basketball team. So I think that still it still worries me a little bit. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.